Welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week, more on the fallout from the meltdown of the $32 billion FTX cryptocurrency exchange, whose founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, now faces federal fraud charges for allegedly stealing more than $8 billion of investor funds, in part by using them to make risky investments through his hedge fund, Alameda Research. Now there are calls for federal cryptocurrency regulation, including from Ohio's Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown, who chairs the U.S. Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee. Our job is to keep learning more about the collapses of FTX and other crypto firms, and I emphasize and other crypto firms, work with regulators to put consumers, not the crypto industry, first. It's not just about crypto, it's about protecting consumers, the regulated financial sector from bad actors who think rules simply don't apply to them. Two and a half years ago, I explained why I thought Facebook's Libra currency was dangerous. The time Facebook was moving full steam ahead, as most of you know, to create its own currency put that in quotation marks, to impose on its billions of users. Congress regulators face, and policymakers saw Facebook Libra for what it was, a shiny new tool Facebook could use to reach into Americans' pockets and profit from no matter the risk to consumers or to our economy. Members of this committee, others in Congress responded. Republicans and Democrats alike made it clear that Facebook couldn't be trusted. Our financial system was not to be played with. The risk of a company creating its own currency to compete with the U.S dollar was obvious. Ultimately, Facebook shut down its crypto project, but the committee's work to protect consumers, of course, continues. Even though Facebook shelved its crypto plans in the last two and a half years, the stablecoin market has grown 20 times to become a tool for rampant speculation. The number of crypto tokens has exploded, even as the total value of all crypto assets fell by two-thirds, by two-thirds in the last year. I've noted in the past similarities that cryptocurrencies share with risky mortgage bonds and over-the-counter derivatives during the lead-up to the financial crisis. In all these cases, they told us how great innovation is and how derivatives make markets efficient. Wall Street made it easy for everyone to get a mortgage so bankers could create more mortgage bonds and increase profits. Making money in crypto seems so easy, too easy. Every crypto token could double or triple in value in a matter of hours or days. It didn't matter if it was created with vague details or as a joke, money still poured in. No one's laughing now. The weekend before our stablecoin hearing last February, we saw crypto companies spending big money on Super Bowl ads to attract more customers and pump up crypto tokens. I appreciated the comments of one of you in this panel on public radio today about that. Crypto, like Facebook's Libra before it was a shiny tool, supposed to capture our imagination and revolutionize our lives. Wealthy celebrity spokespeople told Americans, if you're not buying crypto, you're missing out. Crypto platforms created dozens of investment products, products that look and sound like bank deposits, using words like lend and earn, or tokens that resemble securities and have a yield or governance rights, yet these products had none none of the safeguards of bank deposits or securities. Crypto firms, their backers argued that billions of dollars invested in lending programs or earning yield should be exempt from basic oversight and regulatory protections. 
That's not how regulation works. The things that look and behave like securities, commodities, banking products need to be regulated and supervised by the responsible agencies who protect the public and serve consumers. Crypto doesn't get a free free pass because it's shiny and bright or because venture capitalists think it might change the world or it's TV campaigns where witty and featured famous people, especially when so many consumers are at risk of losing hard-earned money. And that's before we even consider how crypto has ushered in a whole new dimension of fraud and threats to national security. People are talking about that more and more because it's a, a central issue in this that support dangerous nation states and bold criminals finance terrorists. North Korea uses crypto stolen and hacks to finance its ballistic missile program. Think of that. Human traffickers, drug cartels, gun runners launder their proceeds using crypto assets. Think of that. And some of these laundered funds end up bankrolling terrorists bent on undermining our nation and our society. Think of that. The ability of rogue states, cyber criminals, terrorists to use crypto for their own malign purposes is a feature of technology. And that's the point. Crypto also has made it easier for fraudsters and scammers to steal consumers' money. Hacks and complex crypto transactions make it easy to steal billions of dollars of investors' money. That's what we saw with FTX. That's what will continue as long as we allow crypto firms to write their own rules. The myth of Sam Bankman-Fried and his crypto trading, trading success was supposed to impress us. We're still learning how he shuffled money between FTX and his trading firm, Alameda Research, a name calculated to sound as generic as possible to avoid raising eyebrows while sending money across the world. FTX and Alameda Research took advantage of the crypto industry's appetite for speculation. They were able to borrow and lend from other platforms and invest in other crypto firms, inflating the crypto ecosystem and growing their own profits, even this summer. As crypto values crashed and platforms began to fail, FTX and Alameda found ways to benefit. In one case, FTX made a $250 million loan to a platform. Using its proprietary token, Alameda borrowed client deposits worth more than twice that from the platform. All the while, venture capitalists and other big investors shame on them, fell for it. They were caught up in the speculative frenzy, missed the red flags, and FTX showered Mr. Bankman-Fried with more and more money, and now it's most likely gone. It's no surprise in 2018, Alameda solicited investors by guaranteeing 15% returns with no downside. That's more than the guaranteed 11% that a guy named Bernie Madoff offered. With Madoff and with Sam Bankman-Fried, investors didn't ask questions for fear of missing out. It's a good reminder that most guaranteed investments are, in fact, too good to be true. In this story, Bankman-Fried was the shiny object. Now he's the villain, possibly worse. But this story is bigger than one person or one firm, and that's the point of this hearing. It's not just about misconduct at FTX, but about how to protect consumers in the financial system from unregulated crypto projects. For many investors, it might be too late. I've heard from far too many Ohioans who have money stuck at FTX.us that they tried to get out before it filed for bankruptcy. But despite Bankman-Fried's assertion that the U.S. side of FTX should be fine, court proceedings are likely to drag on and on. If we're going to learn from FTX's meltdown, we must look closely at the risks from conflicts at crypto platforms that combine multiple functions. It means thinking about the kinds of disclosure that consumers and investors really need to understand how a token or crypto platform works. We can look to existing banking and security laws for time-tested approaches to oversee and examine entities that want Americans to trust them with their money. To protect consumers in the financial system, we need a comprehensive framework that looks at crypto products for what they are, not looking at these products the way 
crypto executives want them to be or want to tell us they should be. Meanwhile, I had a conversation recently with Kent State University professor David Pellick, who says he believes federal officials really will follow through with cryptocurrency regulation. Here's why. So I think you're going to see a higher level of regulation come out, especially in the SEC and the CFTC being the leaders in that. That could be a good thing in the long term. The bad thing, of course, of of this whole debacle is that people, maybe some people are thinking, you know what, maybe these digital currencies are all a scam. Maybe they're not going to work out after all. Maybe it was just a lot of hype. So the question is, is this the beginning of the end or is this the beginning of the beginning? And I wish I knew the answer to that question. I think that we are going to see some guidance both from Congress and from the regulators that are going to create a better framework for these digital currencies going forward, especially not just the digital currencies, but some of the newer assets such as tokens, which really are the same as a security, like a bond or a stock. And if you want to issue a bond or a stock, you need to register that with the SEC if you're going to issue it to the public. And I think you'll have some tightening up of rules, which will make it more difficult for people to issue securities that are in the form of a digital token. I think what we'll see is a lot of the altcoins that were issued and a lot of the non-mainstream digital currencies, I think those are going to fall by the wayside. The focus will be on Ethereum and Bitcoin going forward. And along those lines, I just saw an article today about Ethereum and Bitcoin saying that throughout all of this, Bitcoin has maintained its value at about 17,000 and some change Mm -hmm. uh, per coin. But Ethereum, they say, is about 1,700. And the analysis I read is that Ethereum could be the wave of the future because it's apparently easier to build apps on it and to use the blockchain connected with that. Do you know anything about that? Yes. So basically, Bitcoin was sort of version one of digital currency. Bitcoin is just simply a token that you can transfer, you know, from one wallet to the other. That's the only thing you can do with Bitcoin. Ethereum has a built-in second level on top of it, which is the ability to create smart contracts and to use logic with the coins. So so most of the tokens that were issued, most of the altcoins, are actually based on Ethereum, or they use Ethereum as their backbone. So it's sort of a software package on top of the digital currency. And a lot of people think that Ethereum is more viable because it's, it, it's, it has already the second layer built in. Now, on the flip side with Bitcoin, there are people that are working to create layer two and layer three solutions, such as the Lightning Network or BSV, for example. But there's some thought that because Bitcoin is more well-known and has a better value, that maybe that is the platform going forward. But but it's, it's difficult to see which of that will be. Okay. And I, j- I just wanted to very quickly uh, define for people what a smart contract is. So a smart contract is the ability to do a transaction. So say I sell you space on my cloud drive and you pay me by the gigabyte. And so what we could do is we could create a smart contract where that transaction for you paying me for storage is actually built in computer program effectively where I don't have to send you an invoice and you don't have to write me a check. 
both the payment and the provision of service are tied together. So it's a much more efficient way of doing business, and it will underpin Tech 4.0. That's sort of the thought of that. That was Kent State University finance professor David Pellick. And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5 1590 WAKR and WAKR.net. <laughs>